Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, to another episode of the Hostile Takeover, your show where I, Adam Ray, the Easy Tinkerer, and a very special guest talk about our favorite things, PC, console, tabletop, and everything in between in the wide world of gaming. And for those of you still soldering on and listening to us, we want to thank you for listening to us through our Patreon support. As you well know, patrons get early access to all of the written work on fantasticuniverses.com, as well as extended, uninterrupted episodes of this show and all of the other fine audio treats we produce there on Fantastic Universes. And if you are not subscribed to us yet, do show us your support on Patreon. It really does mean everything. But with that but keeping set aside, we can finally shuffle up and talk about more card gaming goodness as we have returned with our recurring guest, our aficionado, someone who loves to shuffle up and be subject to variants almost as much as I do, my dear friend, Connor McIndoir. How are you, Akaru, my good pal? Uh, I am doing well, Adam. It's great to be here yet again. Hello, everyone. My name is Connor, or otherwise known as Akaru, and we are here today to talk about our favorite kind of games, card games. Card gamey goodness. Uh, and it's a very special time for many of us TCG and CCG aficionados because of the two games that you and I are known for and play the most, both of them have had expansions, both uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty for Magic and A Curious Journey for Legends of Runeterra. We'll save Magic for another time, but we're going to have a little bit of a Runeterra-focused day today, aren't we, sir? I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. The new set has released some exciting champions and some really exciting cards into the meta. Yeah, and overnight the meta's completely, completely turned itself on its head. Uh, we decided to take a step back instead of looking at the set as a whole on day of release so that we can let the cards sort of breathe, let little flurry rabid yordles sort of take over a lot of different burn archetypes and Pantheon get even stronger without anyone asking him for that. But uh, we can take a look at the cards as a whole with a finer appreciation to see how they've settled into the wider meta game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, we we knew that we wanted to wait until a couple of days after the set release, just so that we could do our own playtesting, have a look at what brews have been released, and get back to you with a good, well-rounded opinion. And that's exactly what we've done, because with the smaller set expansions, we get a focused look at a few champions and their support cards with maybe one or two cards here and there for the other regions we didn't necessarily quite get that here it looks like a very really strong focus on Vandal city of course but finally some mono demacia cards and some more freljord support and all of it has had really strong play and implications in the wider meta but uh, some of them have shined more than others but that's true of any card release really Oh yeah, I definitely agree with you. There's been already talks of boogeymen of the format appearing that me and you are both terrified of, but apparently, looking at these statistics that we have in front of us, we may not be as worried, should be as worried as we are. Yeah, we both share the opinion that uh, I feel like this is true uh, later into the meta game because, like, with every set release and practically every card game I've ever been a part of. Uh, hyper-aggressive decks tend to do better early on until mid-range and controls can start to catch up and know how to play it around it and how to react to it. So for right now, looking at a lot of stats, I'm seeing lots of Vandal City Swarm or Burn-style decks being particularly good, but the thing that you and I rightly fear, Pantheon, he'll get his like high-tier 1 terrifying times later into the season, <laughs> I would say. Oh, but, but Adam, the deck got nerfed! Because obviously Did the wounded really? white flame got nerfed. It lost one HP. 
That was a far bigger nerf to Lee Sin than it ever was to Pantheon. Honestly, <laughs> agreed. And then we, I feel, I feel like we should address nerfs mm. to an extent before we go into the metagame breakdown because a large part of the metagame breakdown that did shake things up was a nurse to Ken and Akari. Yeah, a moment of silence for combo-flavoured goodness in the form of Ari Kennen, because uh, the, the... I'm just thinking of the meme of a mum playing with the kids in the pool and one kid's having a good time, but the other kids are drowning. I just think, like... So, yeah. I feel like the kid that's having a fun time is just Bandle City in general. Um... Pantheon's sort of like lapping up but still floating okay, but then Ari Kennen's like the corpse at the bottom of the pool. Oh, I know exactly what you mean, and I can't agree more. <laughs> the nurse to Ari Kennen, of course, being that Ari lost a point of HP, which is huge. The fact she went from a 2 3 down to a 2 2 means that she's just susceptible to so much more removal. Uh, Piltover Zorn can hit her with Mystic Shot now with a lot more consistency. Um, and just survivability as a 2-2 is a lot less than a 2-3. As well as, um, is it Wayfinder? Kinku Wayfinder, yeah. Yeah, Kinku Wayfinder. Uh, losing one of its searches for when it's uh, changing its ability from Allegiance, searching for two one-drops and putting them into play, it now only searches for one. And that reduces a lot of the staying power of the deck. Definitely, yeah was able to suddenly swarm up with either two very powerful elusives or an elusive and Kennen to start getting its uh, tempo removal engine going. So that loss yeah. of tempo is um, something I think that the deck relied on after its initial nerf, because before then it um, Wayfinder just chewed up two one-drops, so you could just have it bring out double Kennen so that you could just mark the storm everything. It didn't feel that nerf when it was to two different one drops because it could still put that elusive package back in. But only finding one in an in a meta game this aggressive with either swarm or burn style decks means it will really lose a lot of early points in the matchup. And I think it's it's definitely fallen off of both of the charts that we're looking at and have interesting hot takes about. But a moment of oh, silence for this swarm combo deck. I agree. I'm looking through uh, the list that we have in front of us now, and I see on one of the sites we have no Ari at all, no Ari Kennen, and in the other there is an Ari Lulu list that's apparently an A tier. Yeah, the uh, the Ari Lulu Piltover splash deck. Yes, that's the one I'm looking at now. Yeah, that was one that was pretty good because you could... um use Lulu to turn Flame Chompers into 4-4s and still put a lot of pressure on that way. That sounds like a very interesting and uh, spicy list to run into. However, it's very much not a uh, an Ari deck. It's definitely trying to use the Ari to bounce up the Boom Baboons and the Flame Chompers to then be recycled into further resources. Definitely. It's really Versus felt those nerfs. Really felt those nerfs. Draw five cards a turn that Ari could sometimes do. Oh dear. I, I, I'm not going to miss that deck, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I I genuinely hated playing against that deck because it always came down to did I find a removal for the Ari? Not as much the Kenan, but for the Ken as well. And did I find enough board wipes or AoE removal to deal with what was being put out by the deck? 
because of elusive being a mechanic that is frustrating at the worst of times. Yeah, we could have we could break down an entire episode of this show into why elusives are bizarre and unfriendly mechanic, but uh, I think we could save that for perhaps a different time. As for right now, with the fall of Ari Kennan in the meta, what would you what do we think has taken its place? Because we have very strong opinions about it, but uh, apparently the numbers are contradicting us. Well, we as we both said at the start, we both thought that Pantheon and primarily Pantheon Yumi, knocking out almost every other build of Pantheon, the uh, Pantheon Shivana, Pantheon Tarek, because just the power of going Pantheon, placing a Yumi on him, and just constantly buffing him up, was is just insanely powerful. And if the opponent cannot deal, the age-old Pantheon question of, can you deal with it? Can you deal with it? And with the... Uh, the... the, the kind of downswing it seems on Shadow Isles in the list that I'm seeing here at least uh, I can definitely say that the amount of vengeances is definitely not going up <laughs> What even so, is what... playing Shadow Isles in the top tiers these days? Darkness? Darkness, Spider Aggro uh, pretty much there's a couple of other different Shadow Isles lists but those are the two primary ones um, a couple different burn lists, I believe. Dark, yeah, darkness and uh, mist traps apparently. Hmm. That's spicy. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, so we were terrified of Pamphinumi, but apparently the meta decided. Well, we got Nar. But then so again, let's burn them. Yeah, we got Nar, so let's burn them. As, as I said, uh, early metas tend to favor towards burn and hyper aggro anyway until mid range can control can keep up. But as a burn card goes, what what is Nar? He's he's a four drop that can trade favorably up into four, some five and six drops and still technically draws you two cards. And then just keeps on giving you advantage through the pokey stick engine that he gets on his mini side and then he just grows big and says hey you see that guy you're trying to protect nah we're gonna kill it exactly it, it's a it's an insane engine that i still don't quite get that it's here I, I would say that that is kind of a theme of the champions we've got with this set is that none of them feel like uh, how, how should i word this some champions feel like you build around them. So similar to like I'll use Fiora as an example. You're very clearly building around Fiora or Pantheon, you're very clearly building around Pantheon and their abilities. The champions in this set felt more like a supporting cast. The yeah. closest one I can think to a main role player would probably be either Galio or Udir. But I would still say Galio feels more in that supporting role in the deck and not the main focus of it. Yeah, he, the, his package of cards mid-ranges everything under it and the early curve, and then he comes in to close the game. He, yes. Yeah, he supports his archetype. He doesn't lead his archetype, much like um, Pantheon or Fiora or Vlad would. Yes, very much so. I would agree with that. So I feel like the lesson of this set is it feels like it's more to either bolster existing archetypes or to create more archetypes from the current card pool rather than going here, here's a brand new strategy. Yeah, 
I think that's generally the tone for uh, a lot of the smaller sets from Legends of Runeterra. We get we definitely see them making the effort to implement some stuff to supplement some things here and there. But uh, there's the effort and the awareness that they could have made some new archetypes with it because I think the the full range of what stance swamps can be done with Udia is still horrendously underexplored, and I don't think anyone's quite broken Durand Architect yet, but it's still a bit uncertain as with the early metagames so, so focused around Burn and Agro. Oh, definitely. The uh, Although decks like the Galio lists are very... They match up well-ish versus the Agro decks due to their stats. Realistically, every time you're doing that trade, you are reducing your own power. Yeah. And that is like one of the primary weaknesses alongside the fact that they are zero power, which is a means there's a lot of cards in the game that can just completely shut down the deck. Yeah, the the cards I'm thinking of would be of course Curling Strike, any fearsome unit. But again, a card that you're highlighting that I'm again seeing is criminally underplayed would be Reckoning. Oh, Reckoning is amazing. At uh, some point during the last meta before the set release, there was a deck called Yetis that I'd picked up and started playing, and it was very powerful. It felt it had game versus basically anything. And one of its key cards is Reckoning. And that card absolutely decimates Galio. Yeah. Absolutely destroys it. Galio survives due to his spell shield, but everything else, because it has base zero power and never really looks to gain more than that, more than, say, two power off of like a sharp site, even then, sharp site's not an amazing card in those decks anyway. Um, yeah, it really does fall to something that kills all things with four, or, four power or less. It's a. Uh, it's why I've I've seen some play from old old timey frostbite midrange start to come back in, but it's not something that is strong enough to contend with the rest of the meta yet because it has a very bad burn matchup. Yeah, I, I feel like it also has the issue of a lot of the decks that are currently popping up are dealing damage that cannot be blocked or dealt with on the board through pings and burn spells and abilities and i feel like the galio deck very much kind of folds to that as it has no way to keep itself healthy outside of say kindly tavern keeper which i see here yeah that de uh the galio decks definitely rely a lot on the support champion that it chooses from being either like freljord for braum as well as the good uh, health buffs it has there or targon's healing uh well apparently the uh the most successful of the Galio decks so far, according to uh, Mobilitics, is uh, Gnar in a formidable list. Yeah, I do not understand this deck at all. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's trying to use Gnar as a card drawer engine while supplementing Galio as a way of just keeping everything else alive. Because as I'm looking through, I see there's the two, there's the one and two drop formidable uh, creatures. And then the rest is the transformation stuff from uh, Freljord, which is Merkel Shaman and Mammoth Shaman. And they're just big, beefy cards that are difficult to remove from play and to deal with. And I feel like that's how it's trying to win this game, is through just outvaluing what your opponent is doing, rather than just trying to kill them as fast as possible. 
I think the other big standout card in this list that we can both see here on Mobile Lakes as of uh, the recording of this episode, uh, I think one of the key cards here for the actual archetype is the Volpine Wanderer, just because it gives you the stance swap, and the stance swap in question here would be the plus two health and regeneration. Oh yes, that is a ridiculous card in my opinion. I was playing a little bit of uh, Ladder uh, the other day, and... I got completely blown out by a star swap into, I believe it's Ram. The one that deals um, one to everything. Ish. No, not Ram. It is Boar, sorry. Boar stance, D plus zero plus two and regeneration, as you yeah. were saying. It's kind of unreasonable. I feel like if Yumi hadn't been released with the kind of support it did grant to Pantheon, Freyjord might have actually been an option with the stances and Uda as a secondary wincon. A mid-range Freljord deck that can like capitalize on the stances is something that I think is like criminally underexplored and something I want to do more because uh, I on my on my travels through the ladder I came across something truly spicy that probably as soon as we're done here I'm probably going to try and reverse engineer and pitch to some of the people I write for on RoomTerraCCG.com. I'll I've told you about it, but I'm going to remind you again of uh, the joys of. Uh, Uda Tarek, because there was a thing about this deck I didn't tell you that I wanted to hear your live reaction to here on the show. Oh, okay, please. Uh, so Uda Tarek was something I was playing against whilst I was waiting for a friend to show up on a on a day out. Um, it featured the Scar Grounds of all things. Oh, I was thinking about this. Yeah, it featured Scar yeah. Scar Grounds, and it was like spamming the uh, the Ram Stance that deals one to everything else. Yeah. Because with CR grounds, you just produce a quite a good bit of stats. I think the reason, I think the upside of it being uh, Targon is that you get access to Divergent Paths, which is a, effectively a landmark tutor, but could also destroy a landmark in a pinch, which is also pretty relevant against Bandle Tree. Um, the other big thing I noticed, and this is probably a bug that I think if Riot is listening, they need to address. You know Tarek's ability of copying the next spell. Uh, yep. The copying a spell targeted on just him to the ally he supports as well as giving it tough. For some reason, when you applied Ramstance onto him, it was fine. He was fine. It pinged everybody else. They got all of their buffs from um, from Scar Grounds, and they were playing some of the 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 O five that pings face. They were playing that card as well because okay. it seems good. But when they attacked and they had their Tarek support something, the Ramstance applied and then immediately resolved. It didn't hit the stack. Oh, that's not supposed so, to happen. It was a slow spell. It, it had to hit the stack. Uh, I don't. I think it's because of how Tarek and his support works. Because support never uses the stack. Well, no, support never uses the stack. But when and because it, it's from Tarek support, I, I have not played enough with Tarek, so I may be wrong here. I, I might be misremembering because I'm pretty sure. No, no, I'm. I, no, I am misremembering because whenever you played a Golden Aegis on him. The bar the barrier and the rally would happen right away. I it just took me a little bit by surprise, but still that immediate like haha blow up the rest of your board, even more buffs from Skull Grounds was just something incredibly powerful. That sounds very interesting. I, I might have to look into that myself to give that a bit of a shot. because uh, it sounds very similar to a certain other deck I've been brewing up and playing around with. Yes, something we were talking about when we first started looking at the season. We'll we'll get to that next because I, I just want to wrap up this uh uh, Uda Tarek shell because spamming Ram Stance is obviously the way that that that, that 
I know the deck had intended it, just to be able to like get more Skargrounds buffs and to get more pings off of the Bone Scryer, I think it's called. But um, uh, I believe so. But uh, yeah. I think that any of the of the stance cards, like plus two plus two, uh, plus two power and overwhelm, or plus two health and regeneration, just being able to apply those on attacks with Tarek is incredibly powerful, and you get value from it in any way. So that, plus the rest of that mid-range shell, might be how I would like to play Uda. Yeah, that definitely sounds really interesting to me. Uh, I would definitely have to try and give that a shot. The one thing I do like about Stance Swap and the four stances that it provides, none of them feel bad. Yeah, I would say that as well. I think the weakest is probably Bear Stance because it doesn't come with an associated keyword, but plus two plus yep. two is still, a is still a respectable permanent buff. Yeah, it, that's how I view it. It's because I think the closest we can associate Udyr with is a Felios. Yeah. And the problem that. with the moon weapons is that some of them are really good. Yes. A couple of them I don't feel are very strong. Some of them of are course. better than others, but like all of them have seen play and applications in any Aphelios deck. Yeah, and that's that's the benefit of the uh, choices. However, I feel like that's just due to the fact there's so many of them. Where there's only four with Udyr due to how his character is. I feel like they've really owned into the different stances and how they work with Uda and how they can be implemented within Freyward. Because each of them references something within Freyward. Yeah. Uh, in my article, like talking about uh, Uda's reveal on Runeterra CCG, there was a long section talking about his, uh, his design rework, because he's getting a full rework in League of Legends, but that's going to be happening a little bit after this expansion, so they wanted to try and have Udyr sort of, this version of Udyr in the card game at least, be the perfect balance between both worlds. That's why in this case we have it as Wild Claw stance, not Tiger stance, because there are no tigers in the, the tundras, but you get the giant Wild Claw cat things out there. Yeah. But still, the rest of the stances, from what I understand, all feel very close to his old league kit, but there's still something uh -huh. a bit more like primal warrior druid here as opposed to like the barbarian who can commune with nature spirits that he was in league but so as, wrong. His, as his current character is his four stances are tiger yep. which is his um increases attack speed does extra attacks yep. his bear stance which is a stun which he kept is uh the only one he actually kept okay he he kept bear stance i'm gonna hope and assume it's gonna do the same thing that he did um he then had Turtle Stance, which is a heal as well as a shield. Okay. And then his ultimate, but Udyr's weird that he doesn't actually technically have an ultimate. He can level up all of his abilities at any time. Is a Phoenix Stance, which is an AoE attack. And then his passive is an Aspect of the Monkey, where he gains movement speed as he walks through the stances. Yeah, that sounds exactly like his his Runeterra card. Some of the names would be yes. a little bit different, but yes, like the... they're updating him to represent more of his Freljordian heritage, hence the uh, the boar, ram, and wildclaw, yeah. representing the gods of Freljord. Yes, they would be, wouldn't they? That way before yes. um, Lysandra's time and the the stuff from the Void starting to trying to invade. Oh no, they're still around because uh, the bear stance is reference to Volibear. Yep. The round stance is reference to Orn. I am not sure about the boar or wild claw stance. I'm very sorry for my. Uh... <laughs> I feel like <laughs> my ah oh, no. <laughs> uh, I feel like wild claw might be a loose reference to whatever Wrath of the Freljord is. 
Uh, probably. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yes, they're all references to the various gods of Freljord and their aspects that still wander the frozen tundras. Very spicy stuff. I'm glad they're able to put that care and attention into the story for Uda. But now, a uh, champion that has uh, polarized yourself and one of my favorite Runeterra content creators. Tell us about your Galio deck, pal. Uh, so Galio is a statue. And... <laughs> I, 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 of course, my, my introduction to this podcast was through talking about League of Legends. And I do occasionally pick up Galio to play with. And I joined his kit. And as soon as Galio got revealed, and I was super excited because what I thought they were going to potentially do is a reverse Jarvan, where upon getting attacked, if you have enough money, he'll come into play and do a stun or something similar. Because I thought that would be really interesting card design. Unfortunately, <laughs> he, he decided not to do that and instead comes in as Formidable, which I was very excited by because I was hoping for a Doran-style effect, which is a reference to Magic the Gathering. Uh, Spell Shield makes complete sense as he's an anti-mage character. The granting allies of the uh, health boost is reminiscent of how his ultimate works and it granting health when he targets them. And that's as far as the similarities lie. Um, the taking of damage to Rally, I thought it was a really interesting effect. Like, I, I love the card. I do. I love the card. I just have to separate it from the champion. Yeah, I think this is one of those times where he was designed as a functional card. He was a bottom-up yeah. design, to use card design terms. He was there to be the top end and the finisher for formidable decks, who just so happens to bit the design space of what Galio was, but in terms of being a top-down design, I could see, like, if it were me, I could definitely see a way to marry, like, the League sort of swooping in to save the day deal with this design. I yeah. feel like on his level 1 form, not necessarily level 2, because, like, if he had, because he would need to be on board to level up the same way his card currently does, but if he was, like, on, if it was, if, you're, if your opponent open attacks and you had 7 mana, he could still, like, auto-spawn himself in, yeah, or, like, that's what I said about yeah. a reverse Jarvan. Yeah, him, he could still auto-spawn in, heal your team the way his card currently does, auto-spawn yeah. in blocking like their strongest guy and then stunning their second strongest guy, potentially. Yeah. That would have been perfect card design for his ultimate, as well as his, his kit is very CC-heavy. He's lots of crowd control, knock-ups, and making people attack him. It It's one of my disappointments with him but i guess you could kind of argue that his rally is kind of like his i'm diving in after people are taking damage because it's whenever an ally takes damage not specifically him yeah because it'll trigger if he takes damage but it's the first time any ally takes damage really which is yeah. a fine thing to do in demacia with all their like uh one for one fight spells and as well as just like getting blocked in combat so you, you can see what where the uh where the effect would come through, but the communication and the flavor may have been a bit missed there, because I know that um, certain content creators wanted him to be more like um, Stony Suppressor, to be an actual yeah. effect that like really shut down spells. Yes, because that's yeah, law-wise, that's what he does. He's completely anti-magic. Spells just don't really work around him very well. Um, but I, I'm still excited about the card, and it was the first card I looked at other than Yumi and went, I think I've got a cool idea. To brew with this. Yeah, before and, we got uh, started uh, today, we actually, I actually got to 
behold that cool idea. So why don't you tell our dear listeners about your cool idea? So the deck that I brewed up would be Gallio and Vladimir. The idea being falling from the idea of whenever an ally takes damage rally. And obviously Vladimir wants your allies to take damage but not die. And all the Crimson units also have an above average health pool versus their health uh, versus their attack. And so I kind of wanted to capitalize that and use that as a value engine, using uh, Vladimir as uh, damage to face whenever it attacks, and also mitigating my own health benefits. Uh, it's been very interesting. I've only had a few games of it so far. I am excited by what it can do. The value engine that it has with um, the Crimson 3-drop, which is whenever it takes damage and survives, you get another Crimson card in hand as well as uh, Durant Architect is amazing in my eyes. You, the, the ability to swing in for a, with a 3-5, it getting blocked, you draw a card, it then essentially staying at 2 free HP after the attack, and it being essentially a heal for 2 while generating card advantage is really exciting. Yeah, that um, heal for 2 is something also that I think uh, a Demacia Noxus-style version of this deck sorely needs, because... Uh, except for some of the new health buffs that Galia brought with him, looking at Shield of Durand, uh, the deck really doesn't have a way to sort of shore up its loss of health, so whatever healing effects it can somewhat get is very needed. Oh yeah, definitely, very much so. Uh, I definitely went more into the uh, self-damaging and aggressive side of the deck, and to gain advantage off of what I'm doing, and then using Galia as a finisher. I have put something a bit cute into the deck, which is a Gorlith, as well as the um, the Marcia card to double heal and then double attack and health. Of course, Gorlith the Unscalable saying, I can't be blocked by enemies with less health than me, so some, something being a 0-20 can just sail right through. Yes, and, uh, and then it just dies to a culling strike, which is my problem with the deck, that there's multiple cards in the game that read destroy target creature with power three or less or destroy all followers with power zero or fearsome exists in the game <laughs> it's the i think it's the fundamental design choice that keeps the archetype fair but i also don't think it needed that strong of a weakness to be honest i think there's nothing really above curve other than the petricide broadwing realistically speaking yeah, and that's card strong enough to have started to see play outside of formidable decks. It started to oh, yeah. see play like Demacia X midrange because uh, effectively a two mana three three challenger is still pretty good, but it has the diminishing of returns of the formidable keyword. But still, it's something to worth considering. But everything else seems very reasonably satisfied. Yeah, it's uh, definitely been interesting that I'm going to be uh, working on as I go forward. Probably throw it into a few gauntlets and see how it goes. It's Play patterns are very interesting, and ordering seems quite important. But I am excited to see what it can do going forward. Yeah, I feel like more things may be interesting to see if we can get the formidable keyword onto more units or more ways to sort of share it around. But then again, it leads to potentially strange combo potential of uh, Architect plus either Braum or Soraka, as well as... Uh, I haven't seen anybody do the version of Durand Architect plus Battering Ram yet, but I'm very interested to try. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. I, I 
I'm very interested in the formidable decks that will come about. Like I believe, as you said, Galio plus Soraka was the first thing that came to mind. That felt like a natural fit due to how Soraka works. Allowing Soraka to finally go into a deck that doesn't involve Tarn Kench and feel at home. Yeah, uh, both of those champions have tried to find play outside of them, because I know that uh, people have tried to put Soraka with uh, Vladimir and the Starlets, the the Stargazer that can give your guys elusive whenever it's healed, as well as Tom yeah. Kench being played in certain either friendly or decks so that he could freeze the guy so he doesn't take any damage from upon eating them, or Demacia decks to play Barrier and uh, other capture cards. But yeah. they've never been strong enough on their own, which is something that a lot of the fan base are still quite sad about in terms of the design, but still something I think we can hope to see possibly as the card pool expands. It's similar to the uh, Pike Rexai issue. Yeah. And, uh, to a lesser extent, Darkness as well. Oh, uh, yes, of course. I think, I don't think there's a problem with that. I just feel like there should also be a third card that could fit into those archetypes so that there isn't just, right, I wish to play Lurk, I must play Rexai plus Pike, or I wish to play Darkness, I must play Vigar plus Senna. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogur. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not fuck bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, 
as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on Fantastic Universes. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. With all that said, we've had a pretty strong look at each champion and some of the new fun things we've been able to do with them in turn. Are there any standouts you want to take a big, long look at? Uh, for cards in the set, we both know the, the exact card that, at least in my personal opinion, is the best card in the set. Okay. At least that's not a champion and not Minity. Yeah, Minity. Are you sure about Minity? I, I, I think that's going to be terrifying. But I don't want to talk about it for a reason. Yeah, I think the more fewer people know about it, the better. I, I, I'm I'm glad that it's seven mana because it like it takes a lot to set that thing up. But yeah, I should have been a five five. Yeah, I can see that. It's it's got a lot of fundamental problems to it that I'm glad it's so overcosted that a lot of decks that would want to run it shouldn't. Yeah, but it's still disgusting. Yeah, it's kind of disgusting in terms of the whole Pokemon package. But uh, yeah, I'm reasonably sure I know what your pick is for this for this slot, but I want to hear you talk about it. Uh, so I'm looking through all the cards that were released in the set, and yeah, I believe, in my personal opinion, the card that takes the slot for best card release outside of a champion has to either go to... Yeah, I, for me personally, it's Assistant Librarian. Yep, I knew the you fact it's that. a common. The fact it's a common... Yep. The fact it's fated, the fact it has a nexus strike to draw your spell, which 
if you're playing Vandal City Pantheon, is any spell in a deck that's not named Friendship. Yeah. Uh, the only times that you're you you would light, lightly whiff with this is if you're playing any copies of Hush, but otherwise this will draw you your Pale Cascades, your Guiding Touches, your Sunbless Vigors, and all of the spells you would want to have a high density of, so that you can consistently trigger Fated and level up your Pantheon. It's exactly what the deck needed. And it's two drop. Yeah, which so, was the weakest point of the entire deck. It didn't really have a decent player two mana other than um, banking spell mana and playing. Uh, Saga Seeker or playing Goat. It can, it can afford to cut Goat now. I think some versions would still run it. I think I still run it in my version. But... I think I run it in mine. But a lot of people still sticking by the, the Master versions list. I can understand why. The rally effects are incredibly powerful. Yeah. They need but to be able to have that I... staying power, but the raw power on this card is, is there. It's really there. Oh yeah, definitely. I If someone says, oh, I'm, I'm going to be running... Vandal City Pantheon and include some of the attached creatures alongside Assistant Librarian, I'd look at them in the eyes and I do not blame you. Yeah, That's why I've switched mine list to. Yeah, it's definitely... The fact that it's Vandal is a really strong decision design choice there. If it were, if it were some Targon card, then the whole archetype would be unreasonable. It forces Pantheon players oh, to play Vandal yeah. City. But then again, they don't really lose anything to that because they get access to Yumi, that, some of the attached creatures, and of course, friendship is magic. Friendship is definitely magic. Uh, so what would you say is your pick for the set for best card? It's hard to argue with Fade Librarian, but as I just said, friendship is magic. <laughs> uh, that was also a card I was considering highly. It's incredible how powerful it is. The closest card we can think of that I can think of on top of my head is Bastion. From, Even then, um, Bastion's like incredibly situational. The fact that it's a grant spell shield and plus one plus one is a point in Bastion's favor. But I honestly read this as Bandle City's version of Deny. Uh, yeah, I can definitely agree with you to that extent. It's there's a reason why you run it, even though you want two or three mana pump spells yeah. instead of four. It's just so so flexible. It can save your creature in combat. It can save you from a spell, be it a bounce or uh, a obliterate. It can, yeah, it, I, can I, it can save your like one fated unit that you pumped all of your pump spells on from. It can save it from a ruination. Oh yeah, like we had done some testing with a few different decks before uh, yesterday as well as today, and every time I finally figured out a way to deal with the Pantheon or the fated follower. Friendship was magic. Saved the day. You just have to believe in the power of friendship. The spirit bomb managed to come through an episode early. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> uh, but then let me ask you, what would you say is the card you look at and go, I can't tell if this is good enough to build around or to play around with or not? Oh, there's quite a few of those. I feel like A card that I like in theory, but I know will never do anything, is... Okay, okay I probably have two for this. No, 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 that card's just straight up. For me, it has to be Petrocyte Stag. Last year? Yeah, I, I did have that in the list, and then I cut it. I love the idea behind it. It's a very unique support effect. It's just so conditional that I never see it being relevant. Yeah, so the thing... There's a card that 
kind of caught my attention when I was uh, doing my Pantheon deck up and uh, updating it with the new cards. And I read it, and I've read it again, and I've read it again, and I'm trying to work out if it's good or not. Yeah. And I, I can't. I honestly cannot tell if it's good or not. I feel like it's only worth it in certain decks where your champion is your win con. And that's Hothead. Yeah, I want to like Hothead. I really I do. I want to like it. I feel like it makes Pantheon even scarier, but Pantheon doesn't need it. It doesn't no. have the respect. It- doesn't have the space for it let alone need it no the the stat line and the mana cost and the fact that it's shirima makes me want to play this alongside Siva. actually the card i was thinking of was renekton Ooh, that's also pretty good the fact that it's shirima means that you have that option because uh, it's like uh, yeah because one of the uh, boom crew guys from ziggs's crew so that's why it's shirima yeah you could even uh argue to go pure shirima go Siva plus renekton you can have the Thunder Scout uh, as the one drop because that now starts in play. Yeah, uh, and then you can get to rank three, Renekton, and just buff up with keywords. That sounds pretty fun. In a different style kind of Pantheon deck, but also just the power level that is Renekton. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I I, I still think that this is something you would want to play alongside Siva because the, her Siva's ability to share out oh, her yeah. keywords against with the rest of your team. That's what I'm saying. You go a uh, free Renekton, free Sivir, and a pure streamer. Okay. Well, pretty good. I would want to try and figure some something in there. Maybe like... It'd be, it'd be worth tinkering with, because like, I'm still hung up on um, Sivir action Demacia. That's a deck I don't think I'll ever put down unless it's nerfed off the side of the earth, which is which it wouldn't do, because it's not great, but I'm really good with it. Yeah, I've seen you play that. It's horrendous <laughs> but yeah I, I think it could be interesting um i definitely want to try and play around with it yeah me too i th- think my personal opinion of the set the common the commons in the set are very powerful yeah most definitely with like hothead librarian most of the uh most of the pokemon style cards uh, uh the rainbow fish is the elusive attach and that's common as well as quick quill Then we've got Teeny Dactyl. Yeah, then we've got a lot of the decent uh formidable guys and all of the guys that give you extra stun swamps and the flip guys in Freljord. Yeah. I am very happy with the power level of common in this set. It is quite bizarre how powerful it actually is. I suppose with the Runeterra's efforts to uh, re uh, remove and then replace Expedition, I suppose the rarity thing is just uh, ease of power and uh, easeability of crafting. Really, it's not something that works for their limited format anymore. Yeah, it's. Uh... Oh, we were having such a good episode, Adam. Why did you have to bring it up? <laughs> uh, I'm sad. I'm sad too. I'm sad at the loss of that game mode as well. It's. I was excited to see what they replace it with, but yeah. I love Expeditions so much. They're so much fun. They're so much fun, and I always really heavily recommend them for people who are just getting started to learn the interactions and to learn how cards work and just about card valuation and assessment. That's what Limited's for, really. Uh, I will say one thing. uh, (laughs) We have done a long, hot skip and a jump away from what we originally kind of intended, which was a meta look at as well. 
we've talked a couple about a couple of decks. It mainly being Burn. Uh, there's being Pantheon, being the Boogeyman. But I want to ask you if you could take a couple picks for what you think might, as the meta develops over the next week or two, that you think will start to sift to the top or maybe sift to the bottom. Is there any kind of standouts to you like that? I feel like Spiders has been such a strong burn deck that it's kind of unkillable, much like a real spider infestation. Yeah. I think some flavor of Zignar will always be close to the top. I think it just depends on whether the wider meta game is going to settle on Bandle City uh, Pantheon or Demacia Pantheon. Okay. I think the tools are better in Demacia, but I think the staying power is better in Bandle City just because, like, this isn't Librarian's a card that exists. That draw power, though. That draw power, yeah. Um, Darkness will probably become the strongest control deck once it finds ways to tool itself around. I think it needs to start playing main deck Pokesticks again. And I think it always kind of was. Yeah, it always was. It was always on three Biofies, three Pokesticks. I do personally think it might have to go up in Vengeances. Yeah, it needs to go up in Vengeances. I think it needs to cut some of the like the top end and then just play like two Vengeance just to be able to start to keep up with the late game, but still have some amount of drain effects to deal with some of this aggro that we've got going on. And according Lurk will always list, be there. According to the list I'm looking at, Darkness is or uh, already has a two Vengeance in it. I'm kind of thinking a third. Potentially. If, if, the, if the metagame slows down enough, then it will need to have be on three Vengeance. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, there's also interesting tech in it, actually. I like it. But yeah, I, I I like the idea of darkness coming up. It's interesting that um, Fielder Rush has died. Fielder Rush is way too slow for the meta right now. Yeah. Way too slow for the meta right now. It's just completely fallen off. And obviously, uh, all the uh, Iceborne Legacy decks have completely. Oh yeah, that vanished. Died. That vanished. Which is a funny thing because it's six mana now, so you can play it with Jace and Forge Workers. See, that's really cool. I like that idea. It's a shame it's now focus. That's that's negligible in my opinion. I it it just means that you can't play it on defense, which is kind of which is kind of helpful. But a lot of the times, I just played it on open attack. Yeah. So my issue with it is is that for me, it has to be one or the other. Well, it's you can either, either put it to six banner and keep it as burst. And the deck would still be functioning, especially like the Ice Band or Iceborne Poros, um, the Aram Spiders list could have still run. So that was quite a slowish deck. But these kinds of decks could have still ran around with a six mana bursting Iceborne Legacy. However, when and focus, if it was just focus, so five mana, you could still kind of play it as you used to be able to. And like uh on your swing you Attack, you play your Iceborne Legacy, and then you have a massive swing. It's the combination of both, I feel, that has completely shoved it away from the meta. And I think the generally toxic nature of how oppressive Iceborne Poros was at the beginning of the last season was what warranted that. But again, I think that's something we can like unpack a bit more when we talk about why Elusives is such a problem. <laughs> Me and Elusives. Yay! <laughs> Then again, oh, I was one of those uh, 
But then again, when this this expansion first came out, when we first got Bandle City, I was one of those egregious, awful, awful people that was playing a lot of Zed Poppy. Oh, you were one of those. Yeah, I was one of those. No shame. <laughs> I heard about that deck. Uh, that was when I started really getting back into the game. You are lucky that you never witnessed it. I literally came in, and I think a couple of days later, the Poppy nerf occurred. Oh, the the emergency nerf that just like didn't really do much to Poppy, but still was pretty good. Yeah, the first one, and then a, a week later, they did the second one. And I was yep. like, oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I never started buying towards that deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Poppy's um, viability has really fallen off. Oh, definitely. So, so yeah, so you're thinking... Uh, I, I could agree with those. The deck that I think could actually kind of uh, rise up in the ranks, especially as Fate continues to be to kind of solidify itself in its various builds. Lurk, I feel like, could keep a hold of its tier 1 status, apparently, as it is. I feel like Lurk will always be a deck. Yeah. I, I really like Lurk. I think it's got a lot of the tools that is needed at the moment. Pike hard carries the entire archetype, but Pike kills so many things. Yeah, it does. Does it? Is it not a leveled up Yumi? Then you're probably killing it. Unless they have some friendship in their back pocket. We have taken a good long look into the Curious Journey expansion, and I am very happy to see where this Curious Journey will take the wider Legends of Runeterra meta. Yeah, so as am I. And uh, Adam, there is something I would like to talk about, because I feel like we're going to be winding down this episode. Pretty soon. Yes, shortly. you did say you had something very interesting to lay at my feet. What, what you got to say, pal? Okay, so I wish... To challenge you. Ooh. Ooh. You see, dear listeners, we are both lovers of card games. However, unfortunately, we do not really get the time to play them as we're constantly trying to think of the content to be able to provide to you to, for your entertainment. However, we feel that if you are willing to listen to us to talk about these card games, perhaps you'd be willing to watch us play these card games. Ooh. And with the advent of Kamig uh, Neon Kamigawa, I would like to challenge Adam here to a game of Commander. Mm. However, I would like to try and spice in the uh, mixture. Instead of brewing for yourself, I would like to challenge you to bring for me and I for you, using a Commander from Kamigawa. Okay. Um, we're br building each other Kamigawa Commander decks, are we? Yes. Uh, I assume the rest of the 99 can include anything. Uh, yes, you are welcome to include anything. I would recommend As trying much. to keep it to a budget. Yeah, okay. Possible. Purely because then if our dear listeners, because uh, we will make sure to post out deck lists for these, if our dear listeners watch and enjoy what we are playing with, then they can perhaps peruse and acquire the decks themselves. Uh, okay, I've just, because uh, I'm on a two-screen setup, I've opened up all of the legendary creatures from Kamigawa on my other screen. I am almost certain I know who I'm building you. <laughs> I know who I'm building you as well, because I think they're really exciting, and it is not what you would typically play. Uh, I'm building this for you because it is what you would typically play. It would be a fun deck-building challenge for me, and it's something I think you'll really appreciate. I am very excited. I really hope it's not the same commander, because that would be very interesting if it did. Mm, but yes, um... Matches. What what we will do is, if I'm allowed to take the floor with this, is 
on the next episode, we will be doing a set review of Kamigawa. Yep. I believe we discussed. Yes, that's, that sounds great to me. And at the end of that set review, we will discuss where you can watch these games with the decks, uh, which should be able to put up and for your viewing pleasure on the interwebs, be it YouTube or somewhere like Twitch. If you're looking to see hard and compelling magic gameplay, we will do our utmost to bring something highly exciting and very off the wall to you as soon as these decks are ready. I'm I'm just giving the rest of the card pool another look, but I'm pretty sure I know I'm building you. I, I believe I've lit a fire under Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how you can tell. But like, honestly, it's quite exciting. Very exciting. I, I'm very glad to hear your excitement. And I believe with that, you have some things to say? Um, I think I was just mostly going to uh, close up our curious journey before we go to chill out with some cyberpunk neon ninjas. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan to me. But until such time as we can get this uh, magic gameplay in and brew our next lineup for Legends of Runeterra, we have much content and much things to be working on out in the wider interweb. So, Connor, my good pal, where can our dear listeners find you and your workings? Well, I have kindly been invited to start writing for our dear friends here at the Fantastic Universes, where I will be putting out primarily card game content on... Uh, Vanguard, Magic the Gathering, as well as Legends of Runeterra, as well as any other card games that might take my fancy in a perhaps for a glance back through time. I may also reference Warhammer, especially as the advent of Total War Warhammer 3 has just been released a few days ago, and my excitement levels are so, so high for it. Uh, I do also have my own blog, Parando's Closet. Uh, which is where I will be talking more of my own personal projects within my various games. Uh, I believe I'm going to be writing my first article based on something known as a battle box for Commander, which is a series of four decks and how I went about building them, as well as the ideology and theory behind them. Very exciting uh, to hear that content coming to our main channels very soon. And what about you, Adam? What, where can we find you? Oh, I have much content out there in the wider interwebs for your reading and listening pleasure. For your reading pleasure, the founder and forger of this show, FantasticUniverses.com, where you'll find a lot of my card gaming and PC gaming chatter in many articles and opinion pieces. For uh, DC-flavoured content, look to Dark Knight News, where I review multiple titles a month. Both Catwoman and Suicide Squad are in excellent spots right now. For Dungeons and & Dragons and TTRPG goodness, look to the Apotheosis Studios blog, where I conduct interviews with many people in the wider TTRPG community, as well as bringing my own monsters, magic items, and miscellany to level up your 5th edition experience. And for Rune Legends of Runeterra flavoured things, look to RuneterraCCG.com, where I am the news correspondent, as well as the brewer of off-the-wall high spice decks, I think is what the editor knows me for, and that's something I... <laughs> do my utmost to do i'm very grateful for all of these positions for your listening pleasure you can find me here on this show on the fantastic universes podcast network as well as on i am the night a weekly show where my father and i review retro episodes of batman the animated series because even though it's from the 90s it is still the best depiction of batman fight me irl follow me on twitter at is it tinkerer and wherever else you may find your viewing goodness just 
plug in Adam Ray or Is It Tinkerer into your search engine of choice, I will be there lurking on the fringes of madness. I forgot to mention I also have a Twitter at Akariu. Yep. Uh, A-K-H-A-R-I-O-U. I have not posted there much, but I will slowly start putting out more content through there as well. Yeah, to be perfectly honest, for my Twitter at Is It Tinkerer, I mostly just sort of keep up with a very curated list of influences in the many many card games and other games that i follow and to sort of re- reply and retweet interesting pieces and excellent fan art so twitter is what you make it as long as you're able to further the things you want to do with it but as but as i've changed my mind about twitter a lot recently i am uh excited to get involved with it i, I feel like that's uh... <laughs> a bit ominous what you said <laughs> it's 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 mostly harmless but uh that that is the way of us making content creation as we're grateful for you dear listeners to listen to our content here on the hostile takeover thank you for listening and until next time live free and play well thank you